So, hey, I just, uh, just want to want to thank Pastor. Um, we have amazing, amazing pastors in, in Jesse and Lauren. And I don't say that because I have to. Um, I've seen it firsthand now being here at, at church. Uh, I've seen it over the years, seeing his ministry. And it's no secret what God's doing here, why he's blessed, and it's because of great leadership. Amen? Amen. So give him a hand. Give him a hand. Uh, in our world today, and in all the things that are going on, the world's a little crazy, amen? To be in a church that's healthy, growing, vibrant, seeing souls saved. You know what? The thing, the, one of the things that just gripped me over the years about Eternity Church is Pastor would say this. and I didn't, Not that I didn't believe him, but I just didn't know if it was true. People get saved every service. There's, there's no place else I've ever heard of or seen where people get saved every service. Right? And you just need to know you're a part of something really special. And if you've never been a part of it, another church, don't take this for granted for a second. Amen? You're at a church where you know that if you invite your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, your family member, they come to church, they're going to have an opportunity to hear about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, let's read some scripture here so you guys can sit down. Thank you for standing while we do this. We're going to go to First Kings. No, you stay standing until we read it, if you would. I kind of fooled you there, didn't I? I'm sorry. First Kings 19, 9 through 13. And if I had to title this today, I'd, I'd title it, what are, you, what are you doing here? 1 Kings 19, 9 through 13, it says, There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out. And stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came, a gentle whisper. Then Elijah heard it. He pulled back his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. And then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You can take your seats. I want to pray a minute. God, as we calm our hearts today and dive into your word, God, I ask you to speak to us. God, as I sense your presence in this place, and I know you're working in our lives, God, it's not about the words that I speak, but God, I pray you anoint them. God, I pray you open the ears and the hearts, God, of all of us today to hear your word. Lord, as you asked Elijah, what are you doing here? God, I pray that we'd be able to answer the same question and respond in a way that pleases you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So what are you doing here? Have you ever asked yourself that question? You ever had that moment in your life? You know, cause we're going to dive into to Elijah a little bit here, but, but there's a story that goes into that where, where he's in this cave. Right. And it's like this moment where, where God says, man, what's really happening in your life? What's going on? You know, and as I was preparing this, the Lord reminded me of two different situations in my life where I felt like he said, what are you doing here? One was, I was probably 19 years old, uh, running from God. I grew up in a, in a good home, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, got saved at a young age, got filled with the Holy Spirit, all this stuff, and about, about 16 years old, I decided I wanted to try some things out in the world. Anybody else ever been there? Thought maybe, maybe the world looked appealing? Yeah, yeah. And so there I was, I thought the world looked appealing, and it was probably, I don't know, 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, and here I sit in my bedroom in an apartment by myself, crying. 
My life's a mess. I had messed it up because I thought the world was something I needed to go after, and it wasn't, right? So here I sit. I don't know what to do. I know that I could have returned to God, but I just, I just didn't yet. And here I sit there, and the phone rings. And it's my mother. The Lord had woke her up. And she called to say, hey, I, just, I don't know what's going on in your life. But I want you to know that Jesus still loves you, and so do I. And it just completely broke me. And I felt that moment. In that moment, God said, what are you doing? What, what are you doing here? Like, what's happening? And the second one was, you know, I was in a, I was in a bar. And uh, it was a little dive bar. And, and uh, I thought maybe alcohol would, would, would make me happy. Yeah, you know, anybody ever try that stuff? A little too much, right? And you can name the stuff. You can name the sin, whatever it is. But here I am and I'm standing in this bar and I'm looking in the mirror. And... My life is a mess, and I'm miserable, I'm depressed, it's horrible. And I'm looking at myself as if, like, I'm asking, what are you doing here? What are you doing, Rob? I mean, there's, there's so much more in life that God's got more for you. I know I had a call of God on my life, and, and now I'm probably 20, 21 years old, and I'm standing here looking in this mirror, and I thought, I'm going to try to speak in tongues. I got this prayer language, and here I am, intoxicated, looking in a mirror, in a bar, and I thought, I'm just going to try it, and, he, and I could. And it was that moment where I felt like God said, listen, I'll never leave you. In your lowest moment, and some of you, some, somebody, some of you need to hear that this morning. That here I am, intoxicated, living a life of sin. If you imagine it, I probably did it. And here I am looking in a mirror, and I decide to try to speak in tongues, and he, he, yeah, I still could. That's messed up. Right? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Man, I tell you what. Elijah had a moment like that, you know, and, and it just doesn't happen instantly either. You know, like for me, that walk of, 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 of walking away from Christ, it was, it was like, isn't there a Pink Floyd song, Comfortably Numb? I felt like that's what it was. It was a series of bad choices that got me to that spot. I didn't wake up one moment and say, you know what, I want to go mess up my life. I want to go destroy my life. I want to go build a testimony, Right? No, I, I didn't want to do those things, but it was a bad choice. It, was, it started at 16 years old, so kids, listen, young people, one choice after a choice after a choice determines your future. Old people, one choice after a choice after another choice determines your future. Amen? And you ask my kids, I've got two of the three sitting over there now, what is something I say all the time? Life's about choices. Because those choices determine your path in life, Right? You make good choices, it's a good result. You make bad choices, you end up looking at a mirror in a bar, intoxicated, trying to speak in tongues. It'll mess you up. And, you know, I don't glorify that stuff at all because I'll tell you what, I have a ton of pain and a ton of hurt from that. As a matter of fact, in the front of my Bible, I've got this phrase. It says, uh, small surrenders lead to great disasters. Small surrenders lead to great disasters. But I'll tell you what, if you've made... A disaster of your life, one surrender to Christ can change that disaster into a masterpiece. Amen? Let me say that again. One act of surrendering to God, and he'll make that disaster a masterpiece. And there's people in here this morning, you need to know that. You feel like God's saying, what are you doing here? Like, what's going on? My life didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to, or maybe I made some bad choices, and I, I did it to myself, Right? He's saying, man, will you surrender to me? Will you surrender to me? And apparently, this is kind of in our sin nature to do this, right? You remember in the garden, Adam and Eve? What happened after they sinned? They hid from God. 
God shows up. Where are you at? We hid, we hid from we hid from God. We hide from God when we sin, right? How about how about uh, how about Peter? Right, that Peter is a zealous guy, man, like a really good friend of Jesus, and, and here he is right before he's going to go to the cross, and, and like Jesus is talking about dying and some crazy stuff going on, and, and Peter goes, man, I'll die for you. And he meant it. He was passionate, right? I'll die for you. And some of you have been there, like you just, you, you mean it, you, you've been there where you say, God will do anything for you. And then when, then, when the, then when the temperature rises a little bit, you, you jump out. Right? What happened? Peter denied him three times. I mean, I could just see it where Jesus was looking at him, right, as he's being beaten and all this stuff, and Peter's like saying, I, I don't know him. It's in our nature. It's a sin nature. It's not a God thing, right? What, what are you doing here? So let, let's rewind just a minute with Elijah, and, and let's go back about 40 days. It's like when you're watching a movie and you, and you see a scene, and then they go, okay, 40 days earlier, right? 40 days earlier. This is what happened. And I'm going to read this to you. Just, it's, this is so cool. So Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? So he's like super bold here, right? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. The people said nothing. So they were like, yeah, whatever. They were indifferent. Elijah said to him, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. So he's outnumbered. You ever feel outnumbered? He's outnumbered. He said, go get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood. But don't set it on fire. He says, I'll prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, but don't set it on fire. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire is God. Then all the people said, what you said is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go choose your bowls, prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they went, they got the bowl, they prepared it, and then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Everybody say morning till noon. And then it says Baal didn't answer him. They were crying out, Baal answer us, right? But there was no response, no one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made, and at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. This is so cool, right? So one dude, one prophet of God, this mighty man, 450 prophets of Baal. So these guys from, from morning till noon are dancing around this thing, and he starts, he starts mocking them. He says, hey, guys, you might want to shout louder. Surely, surely, surely he is a God. He said, perhaps, perhaps he's in deep thought. Perhaps he's busy. Or, or maybe he's traveling, right? Maybe Baal's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophecy until the time of evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, come here. This is so cool, you can't make this up. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which they had torn down. Elijah took 12 stones for each of the tribes of the descendants of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around it large enough for two sheaves of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water. That's what you do when you want to start a fire. <laughs> Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering on the wood. Do it again, he said. 
And then he said, do it a third time. He ordered that they do it a third time, and they did. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench that he made around it. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stopped. I'm sorry, stepped forward and prayed, Lord, he didn't cut himself. He didn't do any crazy seance. He said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Is your God capable? Why don't you tell me something that he can't do? Why don't, why don't you tell me something that's too big for him? Why, why don't you tell me something that, that he can't fix? Why don't you tell me something? Because there isn't anything, amen? But why is it that we get this, this mentality that, well, this, I did this, or, or this is too big, or God doesn't understand the culture today. God doesn't understand the world we live in. Are you kidding me? 450 to 1? Man, that's, that's, not, that's not good odds in the world's eyes, but that's awesome odds with God. Amen? So get, get this what happened. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. They fell on the ground. They cried, the Lord is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. That's a victory. I mean, that actually happened, right? But that's just the backstory. That's just the backstory. How do, we get to, how do we get to the spot where we read when we started where God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Get this. As we, as we move on a little bit here, <laughs> it says that Ahab now told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said this, may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of those prophets. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Say, what? Did you guys catch that? Did you catch what just happened? So God asked him to do something really big, and he did it, right? I mean, a huge victory, and, 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 and all this stuff happened, and in in this, this entire nation, like people turning back to God, Right? Happened. And, and, and 450 prophets are killed. And he's got this awesome victory. And then you just go like the next day and, and someone says, okay, guess what? Because you did that, I'm going to take you out. What would you say? I, f- I feel like, did you see what happened to the prophets? Come on. Come on. Bring it on. Lightning from heaven. Let's go. But the reality is, we're kind of like Elijah. Huh? Come on. You guys like Elijah? You guys always full of faith? Huh? Oh, come on. When we're in the room here at church, it's easy to have big faith. Right? You got a bunch of people around you. There's awesome worship. It's encouraging. The Holy Spirit's here. All this stuff. Like, we got big faith, and that's part of the church. Right? But then sometimes you walk out that door, and you got marriage problems, and you don't have enough faith to believe God can fix that. Right? God can save your soul. God can heal people. God can do all these miracles, but yet maybe he's not going to do it in my life. Isn't that nuts? It's nuts. So Elijah, get this. This, this is kind of what, what, I, what I make of that situation is mountaintops are great, 
But life is lived in the flatland and sometimes even in the valley. We don't live in the mountaintops all the time. They're fun. They're awesome. It's great. But how many of you know, how many of you have served Christ long enough or just lived life long enough to know it's not all mountaintops? Right? It's not what you do on the mountaintop. It's easy on the mountaintop. That's where the anointing, all the stuff, that's, that's easy on the mountaintop. But what are you going to do in the flatland? What are you going to do in the valley times? That's what defines you. Yeah, think about, you know, yesterday was a big football game, right? Big deal. I mean, I mean, really, I'm a Hawkeye fan. I love them, but, but it didn't change anybody's life. I know people that have won championships and Super Bowls or whatever. We had Daryl here, right? He's just one of the best, you know, Major League Baseball players. It didn't change his life being a great baseball player, having millions of dollars. That didn't change his life, did it? It was knowing Christ. It wasn't the mountaintop that did it. It's not getting that promotion. It's not marrying that perfect person. It's not even just kicking that habit. It's not the weekend experience. It's not the huge victory, but it's done day to day. It's done day to day. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says us this, tells us this. So if you think you stand, be careful lest you fall. We all got to stand firm, right? We all got to be aware. So, so, so it goes on. So Elijah, he hears this, right? He hears that, that his life's now in danger, as if it wasn't when he was up against 450 prophets of Baal, Right? With spears and cutting themselves. So what's he do? He stands firm? No. He's afraid and he runs for his life. Letting fear lead you will lead you to isolation. Let me say that again. Letting fear lead you will lead you to isolation. Scripture says that he left his servant. So he goes into the wilderness. He has this great mountaintop experience. He has this encounter with God. He's got great victory. He got this big promotion. He got whatever. Whatever it is that's supposed to be the success. All of a sudden, one piece of adversity comes against him, and he runs into the wilderness. And he isolates himself. The worst thing he could possibly do is isolate himself. But he leaves his servant behind. Maybe one other person that could have spoke life to him. One other person that could have prayed for him. One other person that could have said, hey, Elijah, man, I, I think we're heading the wrong way. Don't you remember what happened? You know, we need people in our lives that remind us what God does. Amen? But in our, in our, in our culture right now, and especially because of all the, everything COVID and all the stuff, there's been this, 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 uh, this fear, right? And, I, you know, wherever you stand and all that, I'll just tell you this. Fear leads to isolation. That God did not give you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Right? And if, if, you're, if you're not here today in person and you're online and you're not here because you're living in fear, that doesn't end well. Come on, I'll just say it. It doesn't end well. And if you're here today and you're like, man, you know what? I, I'm coming, but I don't know. I've kind of been thinking about maybe not coming. I don't know if this is really doing it for me. You know, maybe I can just do church, you know, on my own. It doesn't end well. Right? Maybe you're going through something in your life right now and you just, you're embarrassed. You don't want to tell anybody. And you think, man, I can do this. I got this. Let me tell you, you don't got it. It's not going to get better. That's a lie from the enemy. When he can isolate one sheep, he can attack that one, right? But you stay together in a flock. And I'll tell you another thing. This isn't in my notes, but this is from God. I believe it. I really do. When you tell somebody something that's really secret, like something that you're ashamed of or embarrassed by, and you think they're going to look at you differently, they will look at you differently, but they'll usually respect you more. 
So that thing you feel, that, feel that, that fear you have of actually being honest with somebody, that's, that's keeping you hostage. That, that if you actually say, you know, there's a lot of things that people in this room have done that would make you blush. But nobody in here is perfect. So we've all done stuff that maybe would make you blush. Everybody, right? And so when you say it, there's a freedom that happens. James talks about confessing your faults one to another that you might be what? Healed. Confess your faults one to another that you might be healed. Jesus saves you, but if you want to be healed in here emotionally. So isolation. Isolation leads to depression, leads to anxiety, it leads to suicide. You know our suicide rates are entirely too high. One is too many. But I'll tell you what, our rates are, are off the charts right now. And you know why? Isolation. You're made to be in community. You're made to do things together. So even a man of God like Elijah, who had this great victory, was a man of God. Like, hear me, people. Even when, he, even when you're a man of God or a woman of God, when you go in isolation, bad things happen. Amen? Okay, can I, have I beat that horse enough? Isolation is bad. Being together is good. So we move on in the story. Elijah, he laid down under the bush and he fell asleep. This is when he's all alone. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then laid down. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. Get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights to reach Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into the cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You know, scripture tells us when he was alone out there and he sat underneath the bush, he asked God to take his life. Can you get that, man? I, I just, I wish we could do it in some way that wouldn't embarrass anyone. But I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I just, I think we'd be shocked. If I asked you to raise your hands, I'm not. But if I asked you to raise your hand, how many people in the last 12 months have thought about taking their life? It's a serious, serious situation. And it's not just for people that don't know Christ. Again, we just read about Elijah, this man of God, right, who had this crazy miracle and, and this, this power of God on his life and all this thing, a great calling and all this stuff, right? Great success, great success, great success. And here he is a few days later, and he's sitting there, he's depressed, he's alone, he's isolated, and he asks God, take my life. You know, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God brings life. And I just want to speak something to you today, that if you've had that feeling, I don't want you to feel ashamed. I mean it. I don't want you to feel ashamed. I don't want you to feel embarrassed. I want you to acknowledge it, and I want you to take it to God. And I want you to tell someone else about it. Amen? I want you to tell someone else about it. When we're done here, at the end, we're going to have a time of prayer. And, and I'm not going to say go to this specific person, this specific person, but I'm going to ask you to step out of your comfort zone. I'm going to ask you to walk up to someone and say, would you pray for me? Because I have considered that. Because something will happen. I will just prophetically speak it to you that something will happen when you admit that. When you say, listen, now you don't have to go in the situation. You don't have to go into all the details. You just say, listen, I have contemplated that. Would you pray for me? That it, that it unlocks something right then when you confess that to somebody else. That God will use that moment to do a work in your life. Amen? Amen. Nobody leave here with that on your heart. God's got a plan for your life. It's an incredible plan. 
Isolation creates more fear, anxiety, depression, and guilt. The battlefield of the mind. You know, we're taught to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, but it's not easy. We dwell on what might happen. How many of you are a, are a, well, this isn't a glass, but if this was a glass half full, see, that's me. How many of you are a glass half empty? Quit pointing at your neighbor. It's not cool. But I'll tell you what, oftentimes, especially when we're in isolation, we look at the glass and it's half empty. We think about the worst case scenario rather than what God could do. And I'm here to tell you that God wants to do incredible things. Amen? God says, I have a plan for you, a good plan. A good plan. So Elijah, we get to the end of this story, and the Lord says, I want you to go out, and I want you to stand in the presence of the Lord, and all this stuff happens, right? All the, all the, all the earthquake and the, and the fire and the wind and all this stuff, but where was God? He was in the whisper. And you know what that tells me is I need to learn to listen to him. I need to learn to be still. I need to be patient. We need to dedicate time to just listen to him, right? In the craziness of the world and in all the things that are going on and, the, and, 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 and it's hard not to want to be in isolation at times and all those things, but I just want to tell you this morning that you need to learn to listen to his voice, right? Take time, I'm serious, like don't overcomplicate it. Every day spend time, just dedicate it and say this is me in his time. We're gonna spend time together. For me, I just get on my knees. That's just what I do and I just listen. I like to talk but I don't hear him when I'm talking, right? So I stop talking and I just listen. And I'll tell you, 100% of the time in the last 25 years since I've been saved, every single time that I, that I stop talking and listen, he speaks. It may not be extremely profound. It may just be a word. It may just be a piece that he gives me. But I'll tell you what, every single time, and I know he's no respecter of persons and he'll do the same thing for you. But you got to slow down. you got to stop. you got to dedicate time. There's no shortcuts in serving God. There aren't. Right? Try that in your relationship. Try that in your marriage. Right? There's no shortcuts. you got to do the right things. you got to spend time together. Sometimes we look for the big sign, you know, the, the mind-blowing experience, the, the incredible worship experience, which we, we need. We, we want a prophetic word over us. We want this. We want that. We want, we want all these big things to happen and... And I just, I just want to tell you that oftentimes what he wants is just to speak to you. I want you to be still and listen. And where is he calling you to be? <laughs> What's he calling you to do? Because he does have a plan. See, when, when all that happened in the cave and, and Elijah, you know, I'm sure he was just overwhelmed. I mean, could you imagine God like blowing up rocks in front of you, right? And he ran from God and he ran from his calling and did all this and he wanted to die and all this stuff happened. Forty days What's God tell him at the very end? God tells him, go back. Say, what? Like, like, what? Like, God's plan never changed. But God's really patient. You remember the story of the prodigal son? Right? The prodigal goes off and wastes all the stuff that the father had on, on, on really bad living and all the stuff, right? And then the son comes back, you know, and the father says he's looking, you know, and he sees him coming down the road and the father runs to him. And the first thing the father says to him is, you knucklehead, you wasted everything. No, he didn't, did he? He didn't, he didn't even bring it up. As the, as the son tried to tell him, listen, 
um, you know, I squandered all this, but I, I came to my senses and I realized that, that even your servants get to eat. I'm just coming back. Just make me a servant. The father stopped him and said, no, you're my son. You were dead. Now you're alive. And I'm here to tell you, there's no condemnation in those that serve Christ. There's no, there's, there's none of that, that God will not point that out. If you want to return to Christ today, if you've never served Christ, if, if you're backslidden, if your life's a mess, if it looks good on the outside, but in the inside it's really a mess, and you just simply surrender to God, he won't bring it up again. Isn't that the greatest deal ever? It's like amnesty, right? And eternal life. I mean, where, where do we get a deal like this? You bring all your junk. God's saying this, listen, here's the deal. I got a plan. I know you're all knuckleheads. I know you're going to mess some stuff up. I know you are. I know what you did today. I know what you thought about today. I know what you looked at yesterday. I know who you are. I know you're a mess. But everybody's a sinner. So I just sent my son. He died for you. He took your place. All you have to do is say, Jesus, would you forgive me? And take one step towards him. And he says, you know what? I'm going to take all that stuff. And I'm going to throw it in this sea. It's a really cool sea. It's called the Sea of Forgetfulness. And I'm going to throw it all in this sea, and I'm never going to bring it up again. It's as far as the east is from the west. I'll never bring it up again. So don't remind me of your sin because it's already paid for. What kind of deal is that? And we get all hung up with, ah, but it's just, i got to earn it. It can't be that easy. No, it wasn't easy at all that Christ died on a cross and paid the price. But that, now it's easy for us. So if he took a walk towards the cross, to die on a cross, maybe we could just take a step towards him this morning. And maybe God's asking you to go do something. Maybe God's asking you to go back. I know when I, when I had my hiatus, my five years of running from God, when I came back, I remember hearing that still small voice, that whisper. I walked into a church where I grew up. I wasn't going to go to church. Uh, I was going to meet my parents after church. But I walked in a side door where I knew no one would be. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you belong here. It was that still small voice and it wrecked me. And at that moment I realized that even though I had ran from God and done all the crazy stupid things I had done and messed up my life, that in that moment I realized if I just said yes, he'd restore it all. And I just remember him saying once I, you know, I, I prayed and asked him to come into my life and I remember him just saying, I love you. You're my boy. Man, I don't know who needs to hear that this morning, but everybody does. But I just want to tell you today, he loves you, you're his boy. He loves you, you're his daughter. You hear me? Like he loves you. He, he knows what you've done. He knows what you've done. And he says, I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. Like, I love you. Don't, don't, don't create any distance between us. Don't, don't let anything get between us. Just, just come to me. Just come to me. The only thing that can disqualify you from service to God is you. You know that? The only one that can disqualify you from service to God is you. And he likes to use foolish things of this world that confound the wise. So if you say, I'm not qualified, you're in, you're in, you're in good hands. Right? It's better than all state. Right? You're in good hands. All through scripture, he picks the one that no one else would pick. So you're in good hands. I need to wrap this up for the sake of time. But I'll tell you what, God is, God is for the underdog. God is for you, not against you. He just wants you to take a step towards him. 
Maybe you need to get back at it. Maybe you need to get back to that calling that he's asked you to do. Maybe you've got to get back into the education he's told you to do. Maybe you've got to get back to starting that business or, or start living by faith or, or get back in that relationship that, uh, you know, maybe you're married and, and, and estranged and, and maybe God's saying, hey, you've got to get back in there. Maybe you've got to get back to a time of prayer. Maybe back to serving. Maybe you've you just been selfish and just living life for yourself lately and you don't feel the peace and joy anymore. Well, that's because you're not serving others. Maybe you got to get back to leading. Maybe you got to get back to being extra generous. Maybe you got to get back to forgiving those that hurt you. Right? That's kind of the cool thing about forgiveness is you can't forgive somebody that didn't do something wrong to you. Right? So when you say, well, they did this wrong. Well, yeah, that's kind of the idea of forgiveness. Like, if they didn't do anything wrong, you don't have to forgive them. Right? So, yes, people will mess with you. Forgive them. Maybe you got to get back in the gym. Maybe you got to get back in a healthy routine. Maybe you got to get back to living with integrity. Maybe you got to get back to doing scary things. You know, serving him is really exciting. And if your life is boring and you don't have joy and peace and it's not exhilarating, then I'm telling you right now, you're not serving Jesus the right way. Because we serve a God that's got a whole bunch of stuff in store for you. Amen. Let's stand to our feet a minute. Our feets? You can stand to your feet or your feet. I'm sure glad that a young family from Australia decided to say yes to some scary things. I'm serious now. Look around. Y'all yeah. wouldn't be here. Right? right? Yeah. Not, not like this. I'm sure glad that a young family from Australia decided to say yes to some scary things, to move around the world with a young family to pastor a church that really wasn't even like this yet. Just a handful of people. Oh, but, oh, but they, you know, he knew what was going to happen. They knew that it was going to do this and God was going to blow it up and it was going to be really exciting, right? Nah. It's one of those in the, in the cave moments where all the stuff's going on and he hears this, this whisper that says, I think I'd like you to go to the States. Yeah. And, and my experience has been this. When God tells me to do something, he don't give me the whole picture. You know, it's like a staircase. I've seen it several times in my mind. Like, like he says, I want you to take a step. And I say, but what's at the top? And he says, I don't really want you to worry about that right now, young man. I want you to take a step. And yeah, but I want to know what's at the top. He says, if you knew what was at the top, you wouldn't take another step. But once you get up there and you've taken these steps, I've grown you and stretched you that you're going to love it. Right? So what's the next step for you? I'm not going to read this for the sake of time, but there's a young man that at the age of 25 died. He was extremely wealthy and, and so on and so forth and felt like he had a call to missions. And it's a really cool story. William Borland, you should read it sometime. Um, but he, he wrote in, the, in his Bible, he wrote these three words, no reserve, no retreat, and no regret. And what if you lived your life that way? No reserve. I'm not holding back. I'm not going to hold back in case it doesn't work. Yeah. I'm not going to go into this ministry thing, but then maybe have this side thing. But maybe, you know, if that doesn't work, then this. Now, I'm going I'm to move to the States, but I'm going to keep my options open in Australia. You can't do, the, you can't do both, right? No reserve, no retreat. Yeah. Like, no matter what happens, I'm not, that's not an option. We're not going backwards, right? We're not going backwards. We're going forward. If I die, I die, but I'm going forward, right? You with me? No regrets. Could you imagine at the end of your life to be able to stand up in front of your family, friends, right, on your deathbed, whatever it might be, and be able to say, you know what, I have, I have zero regrets in the way I live my life. You can do that. Amen? No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. So let's close our eyes a moment. And what if God says to you and me this morning, what are you doing here? 
What are you doing? Are you in the midst of everything God has for you? Have maybe you walked away from God? Are you running from a calling? Are you, are you, are you running out of fear? Are you in isolation? Are you doing the things that God asked you to do? What are you doing here? This morning as I was preparing this, my mom texted me, which is sort of ironic because she's in the message here. She doesn't text me typically at 6.40 in the morning. I can't remember the last time she did. But she sends me this text and says, I'm praying for you, praying Psalms 90, 17 over you, and I'm going to pray that over you right now. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If there's something in your life that you feel like God is saying, man, what are you doing? Like, we need to take a step. What, what are you doing? I asked you to do this. Or maybe we need to get back at it. Or maybe, maybe you've never given your life to Christ. But I just need to take a step of faith and say, God, I'm in. Like, just like when he went to Elijah and said, man, what are you doing here? Go back. Let's go. He had to actually take a step out of that cave and, and, and go do something and go back to what God asked him to do. And I just want to ask you, if you're in this, here this morning and you just out of a, a step of obedience... You want to say, God, I'm in. Whatever it is he's, he's putting on your heart, whatever it is your heart's pounding over right now that's maybe a little bit scary, or you just have to say, you know what, yeah, I haven't been walking the right direction, or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not doing the things I know you asked me to do, that I'm going to do that today. I'm going to take a step of faith. I want you to come forward right now. I want you to walk up front, and we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray God's favor, God's blessing, God's direction, God's purpose over your life. I know there's many that would say, God, here I am. I'm walking to you. I'm running to you and saying, God, I want to be used by you. Your purpose is in my life. God, I know you put something in my heart. I know you put something in there. And I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how it's going to materialize. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to take a step of faith. And I'm going to walk one step at a time up towards you. And like I said in the beginning, if you're here today and you've had thoughts of suicide... I don't want you to leave this place. I want you to come and I want you to get prayer. And the last thing I want to do is if you've never, ever asked Jesus into your life, I want to give you an opportunity right now. So everyone in this room, we're going to pray together. We're going to pray a sinner's prayer. We're going to ask Jesus to come into our life. So if you pray after me, dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I confess my sins to you. I know I'm a sinner. And I ask you to set me free. I receive what you did on the cross. And I choose to live for you from here on out. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, I want you to text SAVED to 25827. We're going to send you a Bible. We're going to send you a gift card. We're going to send you uh, some music to worship to. And we want to celebrate with you. The Bible says that when one sinner gives their life to Christ, all of heaven rejoices. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to MyEternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at MyEternityChurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.